This is our 41st episode of the greatest pop culture, film, TV, and everything else in between podcasts according to the iTunes charts. And joining me today, I've got Sean Glynis. Hi. Adam Myros. Cuff, if you're going to keep up with this uh, self-fellatio intro, you really should, like, pen something, you know? No, 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 no. Hmm. Fine. And Jack is here, thank God. And uh, probably the most handsome man on this entire podcast, Jake's here. Hey, she told me she was 18. Yeah, see? Uh, and that was a ribbit, Sean. Sean, you're not the pretty one, no matter what you think. <laughs> you really... Uh, I have had the worst day of my fucking life. I hope you all know that. You ever been covered in, like, sink water? Huh? It's real good. Real good. Yeah, it's called oh. doing the dishes, you fucking lazy piece of shit. <laughs> That's exactly what I was doing until all of a sudden my socks were wet, and I was just like, what the fuck? And then I saw some water dripping out from underneath the sink, so I, I opened the little cupboard things underneath the sink, and then just like a wave of water just soaked me all the way up to my fucking ankles. It's wonderful. Hmm. So good. So, so um, good. I got a question. Yeah. J- uh, Jake, when you said uh, she told me she was 18, is, was that your M. Night Shyamalan uh, impression? Um, yeah, and then there was a twist in my life, and now I have a court date, so hey, here we go. That's how, you know what, you got good company with Myros. That wasn't a Raging Bull reference? Oh, well that, shit, we went lowbrow oh, fast. Mm. Yeah. Steve, I thought you were having a bad day, because maybe you went and saw what's out in theaters right now. No, I didn't. That's how I've had, like, a <laughs> oh, bad oh. two weeks. <laughs> but thank you for that. <laughs> so, yeah, in, in the grand tradition of us... I don't know, hating ourselves, we decided to pretty much see everything that was released in January. And of course, January is historically referred to as Dumpuary because this is where all the studios dump their garbage movies that are probably going to lose a bunch of money in a desperate attempt to try and recoup what they can. And my oh my, did we see some fucking shit. Let's start with arguably the worst thing we saw, although it's a kid's movie, so it kind of gets a pass because I think a lot of kids' movies are just naturally shitty. <sighs> uh, we, saw, we saw Monster Trucks, which, let me just say right off the bat, um, I was extremely upset that this wasn't <laughs> a Charlize Theron vehicle about that killer Eileen Warnos directed by Pixar, because that's kind of what I was hoping. And instead... What the fuck? It's like E.T., but with car slugs? What What did you make me watch? Who made you watch this? I thought it was your idea, initially. Or maybe not. I think it was Myros. Uh, I, was I entirely bro- blame Myros for this. This is yeah. totally his fault. Hey, someone else. He goes, someone has yeah. to see Monster Trucks. Yeah, Monster Trucks wasn't on the original... Wasn't on the original slate. We ended up. We added this. Someone added yeah. monster trucks, mm-hmm. and then someone turned into everyone. And here we are. Mm-hmm. I did not add this movie. I was just adamant once it was mentioned. I was like, yeah, that, this does seem like kind of a fascinating uh, dumpuary movie. Holy cow! Do you guys know how much money? Uh, what what the budget was for monster trucks? So yeah. this is a movie. <clears throat> this is a movie because I, I have it written down here. But yes, <laughs> look go at ahead. you guys I'm gonna, taking I'm gonna read, notes. I'm going to read the, the synopsis so people know what this is uh, because. Uh, like me, I thought it was a um, a Cars type movie, like sort of like uh, 
um, because it's it's not a major studio. It's Disruption Entertainment, which is the stupidest production company name possible. Um, but I thought it was like sort of this animated, like whimsical kids movie thing about monster trucks in the same vein, like sort of a, a Kirkland signature cars. And uh, here's the synopsis. Looking for any way to get away from the life and town he was born into, Trip, a high school senior who's 30 years old, builds a monster truck from bits and pieces of scrapped cars after an accident at a nearby oil drilling site displaces a strange and subterranean creature with a taste and a talent for speed. Trip may have just found the key to getting out of town and a most unlikely friend. This is basically the Loch Ness monster truck. You know, you know what's a lot easier than harnessing the power of a, a fucking monster to leave town? How about you leave fucking town? You don't need a monster <laughs> in a truck to do that. And that's like yeah, problem A number yeah. one in this movie. He had a uh, Dodge uh, Hemi that was nice product placement. <laughs> oh, God. It's worth mentioning that this 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 film was conceived by... It, it had its genesis in a five-year-old's recommendation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is, like, in fairness, this is a kid's film that was genuinely envisioned by a child. So that's that's novel. That's an interesting beginning. I mean, do we have to remind adults that children are stupid? Is that well, is I that where we're at right now? Part of the problem is that the movie, the end movie, feels like no child was ever like children were not even considered as an audience for this movie. This movie is so entirely unfun and unwhimsical. I yeah. I just don't understand. Like something yeah. like horribly wrong. It's weird that it made it into uh, the theaters because it's it's like a movie that like you would find yourself watching like babysitting or visiting like a like a cousin or a nephew or something like that and just like that is playing off Hulu or something and you're just like vaguely paying attention and be like this is like ridiculous and the only people that would ever sit through this are like kids um, and you know not have a problem and it, it it's weird that it's not just a VOD prod uh, no. It, product it, and beyond that it's weird that it was made for 125 million dollars it is it, it's obscene and and let me tell you yeah it looks like and it feels like the the whole thing is just it's like something that fi- fell behind the shelf at a 90s video rental store like this is not something yeah. anyone should be seeing and I don't even understand how this was conceived by a child. Like, what, what what did they start with? Well, there's this angsty teenager played by someone who's clearly, like, fucking 30. And uh, they, they want to leave town, but they can't because reasons. And so, Slug Monster. And then it's but, E.T., but, but shitty. Yeah, that's it. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't feel like there's no other than, like, monsters in trucks. Yeah. That's, like, where the kid kicked in. Nothing else in this movie. It's like they took that, and they could have made a fun world full of colorful world full of monsters in trucks doing silly things, because it's a silly idea. And instead, yeah, it's like angsty Mac Angsterston has his problems with nothing, and hey, his dad's a, a dick, man. <laughs> yeah, his, yeah, his dad's a dick. And well, Rob whatever. Lowe's always a dick. I mean, that's just... It also does that thing where it's like the the hot guy is in school is not liked somehow because mm-hmm. that's how it always worked out. Yeah, and he's completely yeah. like, he's he's oblivious to the fact that this girl's like, oh my god, I just want to ride your bone and he's just like, no, baby, we're not going to Pound like, Town. I got too many problems. Yeah. I, too much <laughs> I don't got angst. wheels. We can't drive to Pound Town. See this? I don't know that. I mean, the budget and the story behind it is the reason why I thought it was necessary to add to this podcast because it is like it is an essential dumpy 
case. It's it's like a movie they just did yeah. not know what to do with. They just it is, uh, Ishtar, it's time. Ishtar and everything is <laughs> in the monster. monster the monster trucks. itself is um, an odd conception for a monster. Like I mean, I get like it doesn't feel super mean, but like outside people might think so, but like the audience doesn't think so. And it has this weird am- amalgamation of sea creatures. It's like a dolphin, whale, octopus together. You know what no, it looks like? Dude. It looks no, like teeth. if you were to take all the CGI from the past five years and just like all the little extra bits that they didn't use and then you mashed it together, that's what it looks so it's like. like. A, it's like a CGI fritter? Yeah, it's like an amalgamous blob of shit. It's oh Jesus, and everything See, I, in this movie looks like it costs too much money for the wrong reasons. There's all kinds of things that raise red flags. There's explosions. There's animals. There's Rob Lowe. There's Danny Glover. All of these things should Tom, not be in this Tom movie. In, in the most thankless role. Oh, yeah. I don't under, yeah, I don't know where the money went because, like you're saying, it's got like Rob Lowe's barely in it. He's like he literally has like five minutes of screen time total. He shows up at the start. He's like the first person we see, and he's playing the asshole oil executive because all oil executives are assholes. That just goes without saying. Yeah, he's and like replaying he, the Tommy Boy character. Yeah, and he disappears for like 40 minutes, so we follow the the main actor, and then Rob Lowe shows up for a little bit in the middle and a little bit at the end, and like he's hardly in it. Danny Glover's hardly in it. They're not paying the actors. Everyone else is pretty much unknown. I mean, after that, it's Barry Pepper is probably the biggest oh, yeah. name in there, <laughs> playing a sheriff, because that's what Barry Pepper does. Barry um, Pepper, who perpetually looks like he ate a hot pepper. Yes, he's uh, like I feel under. If you look up the, the term pinched features in dictionary, it's just a picture of Barry Pepper. He's just he's <laughs> the definition. Um, and they just yeah, and, and the movie, like I say, the the CGI is not impressive. It's not particularly you know interesting or they didn't waste a lot of money on concept art for this thing that's for sure and then finally like the last act of it okay they crash some cars and that's like it turns into a weird mad max movie like they just crash a bunch of cars which sounds that makes it sound way cooler than it actually is just to don't get yeah. excited it's not like mad max i was gonna say is this your, is this your monster trucks hard sell <laughs> 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 like, but but they do like they have a couple of big car crashes that look to me like they're actual stunt work. I'm not sure. Maybe I was kind of zoning out a little bit towards the end. I don't know if kids would really like these big car crashes, and certainly there's no reason in the film to care about what happens from the car crashes. But they're not that expensive to crash a couple of cars. I just don't know where like this feels like an embezzlement scheme. Like. They, they took 125 million, wrote it off the books, pocketed 70, 80, oh, 115 million of that. It's like it's the like the timeshare of films. Go ahead, Jake. Yeah, I feel, I'm just like I I am I don't know. I, you guys hated this more than I did. I just thought it was there. Yeah, I had the same reaction I did with like Nine Lives. It was just like a movie that felt really dated and. Mm-hmm. It's just, but it's it it's honestly it's like Free Willy basically, except with some sort of CGI squid shark. It's like Free Willy and and the MTV remake of uh, um, Footloose put together. Yeah, but I just yeah. like it's so misguided in so many ways. Where it's it's like this environmental movie, and it, it's basically if Free Willy it featured the kid. I don't know, just like tooling or like strapping some wheels to the killer whale and having to drag him around town before he could free him from the pool. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's worth mentioning on that. that the <laughs> film at no point clarifies why these monsters like really want to be in truck frames. Like it's kind of it just happens that literally the monster comes out, the monsters drink oil, 
trucks drink oil, I guess. If you're a five-year-old, that makes sense. And then literally he's a truck with no engine and he has to hide the monster. So he hides the monster in the truck and then the monster can turn the axle, which makes the truck go. And from there on in, at no other point do they think, well, I mean, he fitted in a truck first, so let's just keep them all. Let's let's rig up other trucks to rescue the other monsters because all these monsters now have to be in trucks. And well, that's it's just like film. we... The, yeah, the basic truck, premise yeah. of the, the truck is like, oh, this monster loves seeing the outside world, gets excited. Uh, but if I shut this, uh, if I shut him in this dark <laughs> hole, he'll stop. It's like, what are the moral implications of this this movie about, like, saving endangered species where he's he's just utilizing this species for his own gain? And it's, right. it's, it's, it's not a selfless tale, but it's just, it's I want to see this movie written by a four-year-old you know like when you sell it like it's like this movie was written by a team of a thousand fucking suits it's just like oh it, it is afraid to be a kids movie it's like do, oh do I, think... I wish this was a kids movie but it's like no we gotta have uh we gotta try and make it transformers or some shit it's like no do, do, you, think, do you think years from now there's gonna be a blackfish documentary about the monsters and monster trucks <laughs> <laughs> it's also the movie's also like 15 minutes long but yeah, all right. We should move on because we got plenty of other stuff. <laughs> I don't to, know, man. My hot take was we just got to, like, I don't think this movie did anything wrong. It's just there's no reason for us to be watching these fucking movies geared towards nine-year-olds. And yeah. Is it yeah. geared towards kids, though? Like, that's that's my take from it. I was bored out of my mind by this, but I just, I don't think children that's are going to like it I, I think. I think no, I I I think that it's going to be sort of like a movie that kids will like. You know, it's it's not like kids are like cognizantly like critical, but like I think it's going to be a, a, a sort of a bottom of the barrel as far as like being able to grab kids' attention. I wouldn't be surprised if it yeah. if it wasn't there's, successful. There's, at that. Yeah, there's one scene at the end where the three monster trucks with the three monsters in them go down a cliff and they like ramp off this cliff face and they're flying through the air and like a tire flies off one of the trucks and a tentacle zips out and grabs a tire and puts it back on the truck and like that and at that point the the film makes sense in that second that that's what the film should have been but that's right. literally like 20 seconds of a movie that's at least what like 100 minutes long it's yeah it's, I'm, oh it's 100 gonna, yeah it's over 100 yeah, minutes yeah so it's I'm, like I'm this, with you. I just wonder. yeah so it's like this movie just that's what it should have been is zany truck antics and it isn't <laughs> the most truck part antics. it's yeah, yeah. It's there's a movie antics. here there's a movie here that kids would love, but it got it got rewritten six times, and, and now it's yeah. just a movie for no one. Uh, but it is still it's it's almost like think of a live action kids movie that's like a success at this point. Like why do they even fucking make them? They they all seem super dated and of a different era. Yeah. Like it's just bizarre. I I don't know. I, I again just didn't hate this movie. I thought that. The creature was charming enough. It's just that when it was featuring the human actors, they were all terrible and boring. Yeah, the live yeah. action thing seems to be like the the um, sort of bridge between, it, or, or like it's sort of the next step from kids movie. It's like family movie. That's like what you know Hollywood makes as live action is like the PG, you know, like the Ice Cube family movie, um, and seems like all the G rated stuff remains animated or at least the successful stuff and then when they when they jump over to pg uh for like this family type stuff that seems to be all like the live action thing that at least that seems to be the the rubric that has been going on since i don't know pixar started right they're just not successful anymore it's like why why even bother no kids are just not interested or parents avoided or i don't know what 
the reason behind it is, but every time they wheel one of these out, it just feels like it's 1995. Right. All right. All right. Well, speaking of dumb, uh, one of the other movies we saw probably should not be seen by, by children. I think I might be the outlier here in in my dislike of this film, so maybe you guys can try and sway me. Uh, One of the other things that went to the theater to see was Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage, which I proudly sat down for on the night it came out. Uh, This is kind of a weird one because it's essentially rebooting a franchise that originally started in... 2001 maybe is that about right 2002 i think 2002 and then there was a Mm -hmm. sequel in 2005 but without vin diesel who was the protagonist and this is the return of the series (laughs) over a decade later and the return of vin diesel like 15 years later and i i don't know what to make of it so it's it's triple x so if you're familiar with that it is aggressively stupid and it's it's a mix of James Bond and extreme sports, but it's a it's a Chronicles of Narlia. <laughs> you have been waiting to use that. <laughs> yeah, I am. I I'm, I'm, no, I'm gone. So, so I, like, tri- I like to call it the Chron- Chronicles of Ridiculous. That might be better, but <laughs> I didn't come up with that. So I, I like the Chronicles of Narlia. <laughs> it is. I, I, on one hand, I feel like. They're, they're trying to do what they've done with the Fast and Furious movies in the last couple of years where they realize just how goddamn stupid they are and they kind of embrace that. Mm-hmm. But on the other yeah. hand, it still thinks it's cool on some level, maybe a little bit too much. Yeah, it seems like the Fast the fast franchise with like the fourth and, and fifth like uh, got smart um, and this one is trying to get like schlocky. Yeah. It, it, but it's I, I, I don't know. Go ahead. Well, I, I was I would say what I kind of like about this. I'm not up to date on Fast and the Furious, and it's, it's a franchise I need to do catching up on because it's clearly very culturally important. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yes. Okay. But um, <laughs> what I did like about this movie, and I did, I actually enjoyed this movie. I saw it in theaters. I paid XD prices to see it in theaters, and I didn't feel really <laughs> really annoyed afterwards. So that's a pretty good sign. And it's entertaining. I just kind of, it's got this bigger international perspective, which I kind of found endearing. It's sort of yeah. like, it's it's weird politically. This film is politically muddled. It's all over the place. Um, but it's like, it opens with one of the bizarrest cameos I've ever seen, which is Neymar Jr., who's a Brazilian soccer player, just shows up. And then it just drapes all over, like, aggressively stupid. This movie is aggressively, like, world hopping. It goes all over the place just because it can. Um, and they do their missions and everything's it's it's just posits this idea that super secret agents are not people with years of training and nerves of steel they're just people who can pull backflips on dirt bikes that's like exactly what you need mm-hmm. and it just it, they save the world against a threat that's not credibly established they just bounce around the place and it's i don't know it's just i, I find it difficult to dislike it because i was never bored there was no point in this movie where it let up and sagged it's just perpetually stupid but kind of enjoyable and it sets up its its antagonisms quite well considering they actually shift a lot within the film because it turns out that all the the good guys and the bad guys are actually on the same side, kind of, and then there's new bad guys shift into place. Um, 
And you know, I'd just I gotta, gotta give a point. It entertained me. It's big and yeah. explosions <laughs> and the action movies. At least the action sequences at least make sense. They're not like completely like chopped up, uh, like blink and you'll miss it. You have no idea what's going on. It, you know, it's 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 not brilliant, but it's not bad. It's I'll, it's I'll better also than the other give two. it. I'll give it credit for like I have. I saw the first Triple X like years ago, probably like a year or so after it came out, and I haven't seen anything about Triple X franchise since then. And uh, you know, you're still able to like follow along. You're not lost. Like it sort of like has that that quality that that won't alienate people outside of the loop, but just want to see like the new Vin Diesel movie. Um, also, <clears throat> I, I think the ideal way to see this is the way that Myros and I saw it, which was just like chugging like a a, a few high ABV beers and. And uh, sitting down and just sort of like laughing and at it and and whatever, just like because it is ridiculously stupid. Sean, you realize it's PG thirteen, right? <laughs> <laughs> Corrupting um, our youth. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, but you know what I just realized uh, is that it was directed by DJ Caruso. <laughs> it's a big name. What? Oh, I Sean's mean, like, favorite film, Disturbia. Oh, that, that might explain why this film elevates DJing to a superpower. That's true. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I am uh, known uh, around these parts as an apologist for Disturbia, but that guy's career has... Uh, Caruso's career has uh, careened off the clip, but um, as far as you know, doing interesting things. But well, I mean, you, you know, if if so. you had a traumatic brain injury and you had never seen Rear Window and you said you really liked Disturbia, I I would never question that, Sean. Oh, never please. You also have to give it to Vin <laughs> Diesel for uh, being the leader or one of the leaders of the two, like these two franchises that are like very ethnically diverse and also very bankable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a smart guy. I mean, I, Vin Diesel's career is worth review. He's he's a smart, interesting kind of person. He's just not a very good actor. No, but he's. I mean, is it is it any coincidence that um, the only main white guy in the Fast franchise uh, is died? dead? Yeah. Is that is that what you're getting at, Jack? Well, o- Obama did that. I remember. Yeah, that was definitely he, Obama cut his break. Drone lines. strike. There was video footage of. Something that was either a drone or some light somewhere, and that's why Paul Walker's dead. Mm-hmm. I knew uh, it. Perhaps some sinister organization hijacked a satellite. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> from Detroit. I, li- I like that yeah. this film never clarifies because the whole storyline behind this movie is based on the Triple X organization is reunited to find this this incredible electronic device that can hijack satellites and knock them out of orbit, and it can bypass all encryption everywhere and do anything. Um, but there's only one of this device, and they never say who built it, so they just have to destroy this device because it's too powerful. No, yeah. the nerds downstairs who- call it Pandora's Box. Pandora. It doesn't really seem all that powerful anyways. I mean, it's not no, like it, like, it. But how can you not, like, there's only one? Who built it? How does it bypass all encryption I everywhere have no, yeah, well, every it, country? It's insane. Well, again, this is, I think this movie was also written by a five-year-old because it's like, yo, what if there was a box with a single button and when you press it, satellites fall down? It's like, what? Who the fuck thought of that? There's no, I guess there's it's no, like... not even like, efficient. <laughs> it, it, you might as well just use a fucking, like, stick of dynamite. What the hell's the point of it? <laughs> yeah, it, that's, that's the other thing, too. It, it feels very... I mean, I guess like blowing up people with satellites and wrecking communications by, you know, blowing things up, that's kind of a big deal. But the whole thing feels like a very low stakes affair because they're just going after this little black box that doesn't seem to mean much. And they didn't really highlight the communications aspect of it either. It was just like, oh, 
They're going to hurl a rock at you from space. It's like, I, I don't fucking yeah, care. What, what I like, yeah, they set it up as pretty much just like, this is the, the biggest thing ever, and it's totally deadly, and we have to save the world because we have to get rid of it. And what, they just keep repeating that until you're kind of on board and like, oh, yeah, they better get this thing. This is pretty high stakes. And then, yeah, ever so often, you, like the film doesn't slow down enough for the audience to seriously have a chance to take a breather and go, why the hell is any of this happening? Just and that's that's the whole point of it. It's just it's like I say it's J, like the Triple X franchise is basically James Bond, but um, they took out the the vodka martinis and just put in Red Bull and just chug energy drinks and like extreme sports. Which that and, part yeah. was like the most like fun to me or, or funny I should say like <clears throat> just to see a movie. Well, I guess like Point Break remake came out last year, but um, to see like extreme sports that like glamorized in a movie it was just a weird like nostalgia yeah, the whole t- thesis of triple x is that the coolest thing in the world is using a mode of transport on a surface it wasn't designed for <laughs> so it like, doesn't make any uh, scientific <laughs> sense that's for sure <laughs> yeah I, so, uh, why, why would you be able to uh, just shoot out skis on a uh, motorbike and ride it on the water. What is prepared? The whole concept say, of skis is that it must be pulled behind something so as to float on the surface. I will say, they go I, surfing on motorbikes. That is that's gnarly. Well, he also skis but, through the forest in the opening scene in the Dominican Republic. So skis not just Skateboards for the mountains. Too. Yeah, I will say that while this might have been the the most fun of of the four movies we're going to be talking about, I feel like Will Smith like hit me with a neuralizer because I I don't remember almost it, any of this movie. Mm. Very my, my true. Main, I'm struggling myself. Yeah, like, my, my main recollection of the movie is basically the first half hour is basically just scantily clad women. That's pretty like and the first montages, half hour. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the, the mise en scène is pretty much just trying to jam as many bikini clad women in the frame as possible. And that's just that's the first half hour or so. And then it kind of just turns into explosions. Yeah, and having that's, watched that's this, my recollection. Having watched this back to back with another film we're going to discuss, it was a real overload of male gaze. It was just, it was a pretty <laughs> sleazy <laughs> night at the theater. My, my favorite, my favorite example of that. There's one scene they go to this big disco in the jungle because why not? Sure. And they this an outdoor disco. This is where DJing is also used as a superpower. One of their guys, his his literal superpower is that he's a, he's basically a fun guy who can DJ. That's literally like a his mushroom. Entire, yeah, that's his entire purpose on the team. He's he just he he does DJing, and at one point he he pumps up the crowd with his awesome DJing skills and and distracts a bad guy, and that's oh, like yeah. his only service. But it's uh, like an, the- it's like an annoying uh, character in a video game, like that's in your troop that you have to like go like create a diversion, but he's only there to like. That's it. Like after that, he's just a guy. Who, he carries a gun sometimes, but he has no other abilities. But in this point, uh, at this disco, Vin Diesel at one point orders a cranberry and soda water drink, and it's served up by a lady in a bikini because that's everyone but Vin Diesel in this movie. Um, and this is great shot. He orders this drink, and the, the camera just starts at like the the bikini lady's face and just tracks down her body. Mm-hmm. Um, while she's serving it, and you just see all these like glistening dewdrops on her skin, or on her skin, just like captured. And I'm just thinking, like, is this sexy or is this just health code violation? Like, <laughs> like, if I went to a bar and that was being served up, I would probably just turn around and leave. I'm, that's not a great start. But it's, I guess it's funny I'm too that you mentioned enough. that. 
Because I feel like also, the only time the camera stops jumping around is when it <laughs> finds a woman to leer at. Because yeah. in, in that same scene, there's this big fight scene that plays out on at the Jungle Rave, which is on a special secret island where secret agents and bad guys go to drink i guess anyway there's this huge <laughs> fight scene and number of women there's there's no way to tell what's going on like it's just everything is like super zoomed in and all these quick cuts and you have uh what's his name tony ja tony, tony ja yeah. donnie yen yeah donnie yen uh you you have these guys who are very accomplished uh action film people and, you, you know, it'd be nice to actually watch them fight, but instead it feels like they're roundhouse kicking the camera and we're just sort of, like, floating through the rave. <laughs> uh. that's, that's, that's been a complaint of a lot of Western films. Um, you know, they, they, don't, they don't want to put together the stunt work for, like, yeah. serious stunt work because that requires a lot more risk and a lot more effort. Well, but, my, um, uh, my, yeah. my one-line takeaway from Triple from X, because I, I didn't want to take notes because these movies were just making my head hurt, uh, no, but I just wrote: If you're a 35 year old bouncer with a shitty tribal tattoo who insists James Bond is a pussy, this is your Goldfinger. Is that fair? <laughs> yeah. That's beautiful. Uh, yeah, well, this is just, this is the most long headed film of the bunch. I think. Oh, it most yeah, certainly it is. Oppressively well, stupid. Why is there a, why is there a secret secondary triple X anyway? Shouldn't these teams know of each other? What's the purpose for the subterfuge? It's so yeah. super. It's so super secret. Like the triple X organization is so, it's so super secret that it seems to like um, supersede national security because like the triple X team is people from all over the world, but they're working for American interests. Just like, but yeah. but it's, it it doesn't really and this side doesn't make any sense. It's kind of pleasing. I feel like it's got more of that like outlaw bandit thing that Fast and the Furious is doing. But it doesn't make sense because the Triple X organization is clearly supposed to be an American enterprise. I just want to mention, just in case we don't get a chance to, make it, to to get it anywhere else, that this also features a scene where Vin Diesel just has an orgy with like ten women, um, just yeah. because. Uh, also, I, I wanted to to mention like the weird um, cameo of Ice Cube, which was terrible. Dude, and, uh, there, that is the only part that I love. That's the only thing that I genuinely <laughs> loved about this movie. But, yeah, I mean, is there, like, there whatever, is literally like used an AK, except it wasn't I, an AK. Ice but. Cube is just like my least favorite actor, maybe like of the this generation. I don't know. Like, it, Sean, he's just so bad. I, you need anyway. to stop and think about what you're saying because this is a movie. Where there is literally like a one eight hundred number, where if you dial it, Ice Cube will show up with a rocket launcher. True, uh, and that's but, incredible. Deus Ex, uh, also <laughs> Ice Cube, also Sam Jackson, who plays like their whatever uh, mentor or whatever. He like bookends the movie. But Jack, you were you had some interesting thing to say about the morals of of his like. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's true. So we have Samuel Jackson heads up this triple X. Uh, organization and he's killed by a falling satellite at the start um but of course he's not really dead which is a spoiler but to be honest with you if you thought he was dead sam jackson's not writing himself out of any franchise anytime soon he's gonna keep showing up as long as he can so amazingly he shows up at the end again at his funeral which you know, okay, cool. He he drops in at his own funeral. His funeral is full of people crying and weeping and wailing Close and casket. being upset. Closed casket, everything. Um, my question is basically, he's super secret. He's like married to his job. Clearly, this he's not the kind of guy who's going to keep like a, a normal life. So faking his own death seems like it wouldn't be a big problem. But there are all these mourners at his funeral. I'm thinking maybe he does have a life. 
like well, these were all kids, whatever. Yeah, and these I'm, were all like, separate triple X teams, not involved. In <laughs> Maybe like they're like the Soul Choir are all triple X people with <laughs> super soul oh, singing my. abilities. But so it's like did he faked his own death, and he's just cool with just leaving a bunch of people who loved him just like feel bad just because he wants the just extra leverage of people thinking he's dead. Like he's a nutcase in this um, game. He's a monster. And that's, yeah, that was my takeaway from the movie is basically that the triple X organization is headed by a deranged sociopath. And my biggest complaint about these movies is that triple um, X, the, the agency just doesn't seem to have a very good like work life balance. No, you got to live extreme. That's it. And then it just ha- your job overlaps with that. Well, that's just not fair. That's well, you know, you, you, look, here's another thing that confused me about this movie. Um, there's, they have like text intros for the characters, which is super annoying, but everyone's doing it. It's kind of like Suicide Squad and stuff. It's, it's exactly like Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. a little, they have a little funny tidbit about each character when they're introduced. Forgot about that. And and the weirdest thing is that <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson's tidbit when he shows up is that he prevented World War Three. This is really confusing because I watched Triple X Two, and at two separate points in that movie, they mention ushering in World War Four. That they have to prevent <laughs> that from happening, God which suggests the Triple X franchise that World War Three already happened. So what the fuck went on there? Well, perhaps when he prevented it in the first film, they still countered it in the Ledger yeah. of World Wars for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> we need Triple X two point five. <laughs> so I, you know, don't this. put it past him. World War Three, but it didn't count. Listen, this is Trump's right. America. Okay, so you know. Aslan, uh, he died and came back, and that was a that was quite a right, price allegory. We also also Vin Diesel in uh, in Triple X Return of Xander Cage pulled a similar trick, as did Sam Jackson. We had can, double can we Aslans also, in this Chronicles of Narlia. Can, can we also mention that Don Yen basically steals this movie? Yeah, like, yeah, such yeah, a bad about it star and presence in Vin Diesel that Donnie and it, it, to be fair they even they let him like it's kind of unfortunate that like at the end where things are really kicking into high gear every time Vin Diesel is doing something I'm like man I wish they'd cut back to what Donnie Yen is up to but they let him <laughs> they let him true. stretch his legs a little bit and kick some people and do that this and that so it's not bad and it's kind of amazing then when I think about it that Donnie Yen and Vin Diesel are the two main actors and uh, they are both like Vin Diesel's 49 and Donnie Yen is like 53 so as youthful and exuberant as this movie is, it is uh, headlined by just middle-aged men. I really wish this were Donnie Yen's movie. Vin Diesel's like a charisma vacuum in this fucking thing. He is like yeah. so checked out. I know. He, like, he sounds like he's on Quaaludes. on Ice Cube when Vin Diesel's standing right next to him? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm used to it. But Ice Cube just has this terrible affect where like he thinks everything he says is cool. But it is. He, like it's like you're not the guy from NWA anymore. You're the guy from Are We There Yet? <laughs> Well, yeah, what, what I like about it, well, they have the pacifier. Yeah, they, they've got the, they've got this. Uh, one of the guys on the team is a Scottish stunt driver who, again, has no discernible secret agent skills other than the fact that he's willing to just crash cars into other cars and possibly kill everyone. But luckily, no one dies, and that's his ability, apparently. And he's and he believes in aliens. He's like it's just a kook, which makes no sense that they would. Be God, I don't remember aliens. that at all. Yeah, that's yeah. It. he's there. But um, I just feel like he was included. I can't remember the, the the actor's name, but it's like he's a big kind of guy. Not like you know, he doesn't look particularly athletic or anything. I'm just wondering if they left him in there to kind of take away the attention from the fact that when Ice Cube does show up, he doesn't look like an action star. He does look like someone's dad who just showed up with rocket launcher. <laughs> well. 
I'm, I'm going to ask that we, since we're probably going to spend the most time talking about the next two movies, that we move on to to the uh, Carrie Ann Moss Faye Dunaway vehicle. Oh, the God. Bye-bye Man. Let me tell you about the Bye Bye Man. Uh, I, I think currently the most liked user review on Letterbox for the Bye Bye Man, uh, it just says the pee pee poo poo man. And there's a period. <laughs> and somehow, somehow that's that's smarter than the actual movie itself. Uh, Whoa. What was that? I don't oh, fucking oh. know. That was uh, we invoked him. Oh, oh God. <laughs> that, oh, we said his name. We said his name. He's coming. <laughs> don't think it. Don't say it. Oh, no, I'm uh, thinking about it. Say it. Uh, it's me. My microphone's messing. Hang it up. Uh-huh. Hang up. Yeah, Jake just got bye bye man. Let me tell you about the bye bye man. Uh, bye bye, Jake. Thank you. I'm back. It, well, I got bye bye man. What happened? Okay, my so microphone for a, second. a lot of times, what movie is or somebody? I, that's what I'm trying to do here, Sean. But I got somebody named Sean talking over me. Uh, <laughs> Play it if you want, but Steve, you have a good voice. I just, I just want to say, you know, there's a lot of times people wonder, you know, who who caused 9/11? Jake, do you know who caused 9/11? I think those are some terrorists from Syria and sure, Egypt. And, sure, you know. Places. Or uh, what about all those yeah. those spree shootings? You know, like uh, that movie theater out in Oregon. Who caused that? It was wasn't that uh, that uh, fuck? What's his name? James Woods. James Woods. <laughs> James Woods. <laughs> he was Michael Douglas. <laughs> I don't know what that, that actually sounds like. A great movie. You know, you think about all these these spree shootings, these national two. tragedies, Jake. And you often right. say, well, this, this is the work of a man. And I say, nay, Jake. <laughs> Fucking nay. Well, it's well, the bye-bye man. man. Oh, my God. So, Jake, can you g- give me a quick plot rundown? All right. So, Baba Man. Bye-bye. <laughs> Baba Man? man? Is a laughable excuse for a horror film. Um, it's about uh, this, there's this guy who looks kind of like Vol- Lord Voldemort, and he wears a, a hoodie jacket. Um, called the Bye Bye Man, and he ex- he's got a CGI dog from the first Resident Evil video game, <laughs> and uh, like the PlayStation One version. And, and the yeah. only basically what happens is, if you say his name, he will kill you, and if you tell him to anyone else, he will also kill that person who knows about him. And your only option is to kill yourself, actually kill the people you told, and then kill yourself, and that'll free you from the curse. But there's like these, it, it, he has a very there's no like mythology to it. So There's who, no who are the who are the main characters in this movie? Main characters are these uh, three kids who've bought a house. They're college students. Two of them are together, and then they have their black friend. And um, they one of them has an old dresser in their bedroom, and in the dresser is written the Bye Bye Man. I'd and, like to say uh, my, my notes for the three main characters are skinny white guy, athletic black guy, and girl lady. Those are <laughs> lady that's my rundown. That's horrible. the cat. Skinny yeah, white man. guy who loves, who like collects punk shirts from the eighties. Yeah, he's got Joy Division and Whatever. a lot of dead Kennedys. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, he finds a dresser that has the Bye Bye Man written on it, and he says it at a séance, and this invokes the wrath of the Bye Bye Man. Then uh, seemingly crazy shit happens, and he goes into research as to what the Bye Bye Man is, and can't find anything on it because nobody's written it down. And it's just really dumb and fucking stupid and shitty. And I I don't think that there's like it, it's trying to be this horror film where it's like oh we have a new face of horror it's the Bye Bye Man but the name is so <laughs> stupid that no, you, you, that's it's like gotta a be child 
It's like a four-year-old child like told a producer about this movie, and so the producer sank $125 million into putting <laughs> Bye Bye Man in a truck and in a train, and he comes yeah. and gets you. Uh, this Th- fucking this, movie yeah. sure did cost $125 no, it million. Co- it, all, it, it, it only costs... It back to monster trucks, yeah. god damn it, but let me... It's, I know, anyways, I know. There's, there's a this, lot of... This movie- yeah, I, I feel like this movie, it's its like good horror cinema takes like small discomforts and scares and it extrapolates them to like big, you know, hor- horrific things. The Bye Bye Man does the opposite and it takes like real life tragedy like 9-11 or spree shooting and extrapolates back to something that like a five-year-old invented, which is the Bye Bye Man. Yeah. That's Except like, it's it the, doesn't. Yeah. I wish it fucking did that. The trailer does that. It's just fucking baseless marketing for so like the most generic piece of shit PG thirteen horror to, movie to ever. Be fair, it is a movie about spree killers. It it, is, it explains spree killers yeah. as not being mentally ill, angry people, uh, and just douchebag losers, but as being people under the sway of the bye bye man trying to erase the record from the public conscience. You know, Jack. Well, they, they're they're, they're actually the spree killers. They're they're douchebag losers as well. These. these people who have committed spree shootings like, yeah that that's the underscore part of this this movie it's kind of tasteless to do that especially when you're going to say it's the bye-bye man who's responsible like oh you, you lost a kid in sandy hook oh the bye-bye man it's like the guy was small. actually a fucking hero who's trying to erase the plague of the bye-bye <laughs> <laughs> yeah he told he told all those children okay, about the okay, bye-bye wait, man this is like wait wait, wait, wait a second wait a second does alex jones have a five-year-old child <laughs> That's that's who wrote the bye-bye, because man. people don't know what we're talking about if they yeah. haven't seen this movie. Well, thank the Lord. Yeah, okay. no, but and, and, you know what? We we can try and explain this, but that's really all it is. Is if yeah. if you invoke the name of the bye-bye man or just think about the name of the bye-bye man. Don't think it, don't say it. Don't think it, don't say don't it. Say I, it. I, still, say I still contend, it, yeah, I still contend they, they go through the movie saying, don't think it, don't say it, to try and not think about the bye-bye man. I think this movie is, and I started doing this halfway through the movie. I'll just mention, I watched this on opening night in a theater full of teenagers. As it did was I. hilarious because they were, they were just like laughing and screaming and going crazy. They paused the movie in the cinema and management <laughs> came in, walked into the middle of this movie, and it was packed. It was a full crowd. And they paused the movie, and a manager came in. And he's like, "We've had over twenty refunds for this showing, which might be because it's a shitty movie." Yeah. And he's like, "You know, guys, keep it down. You know, we know it's a scary what? movie, but just keep it down." I what? know. And then, and then they ran the movie up, and the audience quietened down. And what? Fucking sucks. Yeah, and it was unheard of. The only person, the only people in the audience who were older than me and the people I went with, they were like another group who were like easily in their 40s. They they were applauding the manager giving this message. And it's like, I'm thinking, you realize this is a garbage movie and now we're just all sitting here. I don't understand how you're, they're trying to like, to, <laughs> to like manage Dictator. how a film elicits yeah, no, it's yeah. ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Okay. Um, and oh. that's that's a Cinemark for you. Um, they did oh. that. Their management did that. So, and they ruined the movie for me. I actually was tempted to just go and ask for a refund once they told the audience to quiet down because that fucking killed it. But um, I will say that when they keep going around the place going, don't think it, don't say it, and once the audience quieted down and I needed to entertain myself with this movie because it was boring now, I started imagining that the movie's actually about the N-word. And that's what they're trying. <laughs> they're trying not to think it or say it, and they're trying to kill anyone 
one that they told about it, and I it's will... like a powerful racist allegory. Okay, so I will say that I'm probably the person that most enjoyed this movie, and oh, you know, Christ. I've made it. I've made it sort of. Uh, well, I made it clear in the the last podcast that my pop culture resolution for the year was to see more horror movies and sort of educate myself on tropes and whatnot. And I found it vaguely gripping. Like I didn't think <laughs> that it was great, but like. I was definitely uh, I was stirred, and um, yeah, I, I think I think I was affected yeah. by it in a way that I didn't come out like being like, "Wow, that was dumb." So, like, what are okay? So, yeah, yeah what are the fundamental errors of this movie? Oh Jesus, say, let's like, let's make a I checklist. Felt, I, felt the, I felt the fundamental error because yeah, we did, we discussed this, and I think the the fundamental errors is just that there's a sloppiness to this movie. Like the only reason this movie holds together is because so many movies have been made with the same mold that you kind of know what's going to happen anyway. Because this movie does stuff which we kind of alluded to earlier. Um, like horror movies, and this is very much in the vein of like Insidious or Sinister or The Conjuring. It's one of those kind of like not big gory set pieces, but kind of spooky things in the dark. Um, and they have motifs throughout it. Like there's there's kind of talismans or tokens that are associated with the monster, which is a very old horror movie element. But the the real problem with this is there's a sloppiness of execution, and then there's this element to the movie as well, which is they don't like they don't explain the tokens. Where that's yeah. like horror movies are meant to do that. Like the puzzle box in Hellraiser, there's a reason that it's there. They explain why it, you know what it does. And um, this movie has basically the Bye Bye Man is associated with trains and coins, and there's and no the explanation. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and a bedside it, table. Yeah, and the, the beds. Like I said, um, I think we had this discussion earlier. I say like every horror movie's allowed one loose end, and that's to justify a sequel. You know, and you're allowed that. That's the rule. This and is in this all case, loose dresser, ends. <laughs> yeah, the dresser with the with the bye bye man written on it. Fine, that's yeah. your loose end that justifies the prequel, which will probably come because this movie actually didn't make a profit. You know, that'll explain where the dresser came in, and it'll probably have another loose end in that one to prompt bye bye man three. But this movie explains uh, nothing about you can, anything. Yeah. Literally, else. you could train. You could you know, steamroll yeah. a yarn store, and it would have fewer <laughs> loose ends than this fucking movie. It is a, it is a complete <laughs> disaster. And it actually has a lot in common with uh, the other horror movie that we're going to discuss in a little bit. But one thing I can't stand is when you make a dumbass, shitty horror movie with terrible actors, and on yeah. top of that, you don't even have the compassion for your suffering audience to make it lean. Like, there is so much excess fat on this fucking movie and just so much shit that goes nowhere, and not for the sake of ambiguity, but just for the sh- sake of, ah, fuck it, who cares? And that stuff yeah. drives me insane. Yeah, yeah. Just, one of the places I thought it was going to go, so, <clears throat> um, the Bye Bye Man makes these people see, the people who have been afflicted by him, um, like, makes them see uh, hallucinations and and in hopes that they'll act on them. So sort of preying on their vulnerabilities. And uh, the main uh, white guy who's into Joy Division and the Violent Femmes and um, whatever else, uh, which I, 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 yeah, I mentioned off air that they must have like not been able to find a, a vintage shirt for the television because uh, um, that was about the only thing missing from his wardrobe. But anyway, so his girlfriend, he thinks that he's like jealous that um, – that his black friend, who in the beginning they make sure says dog and son a lot, um, they think like his who is it his brother or something that that comes over for their party. And oh yeah, yeah. he, invi- yeah, he invites yeah. his older brother and his little niece and his brother's wife yeah. to his and, college and party. So Why there's a party going child on. Child at this fucking college party anyway. Exactly. That's 
Yeah, and and the token <laughs> the token black guy is like uh, dancing just, just like harmlessly with with uh, the girlfriend girl lady, and um, and the brother's like, oh man, you know, uh, be lucky that you're not envious or whatever. Like so, like just something stupid, just sort of like putting a bug in his ear. But there, it, it was just harmless like dancing. It wasn't even like grinding. It was just to, like in the same room basically, um, and so that sort of like puts into place this this like envious thought that that he can't escape and the bye-bye man preys on that and um there is like this alternative version of bye-bye man that's good and shorter and it's just about this one kid who is jealous and is driven wild by his jealousy that he you know kills um his roommate's slash girlfriend and that his jealousy is manifested through the bye bye man. See, this but, is this this plays into my theory about this film. I think this film owes its entire existence to some fucking head wounded imbecile who saw the Baba Duck, <laughs> which is totally <laughs> no spoilers, no spoilers. Well, it is totally a film in that Polanski esque vein where it, it's it's questionable whether there's an actual Baba oh, sure. Duck, and sure. it's just uh, it's a manifestation. Of an emotion, mm-hmm. and yeah, there is a better film yeah, that could be made. There, there's, there's a lot of films. Idea. There are there are multiple right, films it, yeah, that have come not, out that are better than this. It doesn't. It's it's like it wants to go that direction, but they didn't even bother like writing a movie when they made this. They were just like, uh, or they wanted to go like, see any fucking shit. But you can't. Yeah, you can, and you can't make a franchise based on this idea of jealousy in this one character. Like you have to have an actual uh, character with lore, like a uh, you know a physical being who will come back. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah, Baba Duck, that sounds stupid. Well, what can we make that sounds vaguely like that? Bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs> well and oh. under under the shadow, uh that that's it's the same thing. It's it's in the same mold as Baba Duck and Bye Bye Man, but again, it's really good. It's not shitty. And it also has kind of a silly uh monster where you don't know if it's it's real or not real. It's a it's a fucking gin or something. Yeah. Uh but yeah, it's again, there it's but these movies, Baba Duck and under the shadow, they're they're complex and they're layered, but plot wise, they're very simple and straightforward. It's easy to see, you know, what the conflict is and what these characters need to do and what their fucking motivations are. And with Bye Bye Man, Jesus Christ! Like the most compelling conflict is the female lead trying to battle against her British accent, which keeps on <laughs> creeping through. And her and her fever. <clears throat> yeah, oh the, my the god, movies, her hungover yeah. acting is terrible. The movie has like it struggles to put stuff together. Like the movie opens with a series of murders in the sixties, which the film then explores. It explains why that happened. But you would think, like in the standard thing for a movie, like a normally written horror movie, would be that whatever fifty years later the movie would take place in the same house and that would unify location. It would make sense. And that, you yeah. know, because the next scene is those three kids buying a house, yeah, and buying an like, old house and like exactly. an old dilapidated house. It makes sense, but that's not the same house. The movie then literally it's not, it's a different house. And the dresser is the, the linking thing. They find there's a bye-bye sure. man written on it. We don't know how that happened. And this necessitates a scene where they go to a greenhouse uh, where there's a dude who's a terrible actor who just kind of remembers. I think he's like the writer or something of that he's, nature. He's the he husband was... of the director and the writer of the film, and oh, okay. his character's name is Mr. Daisy. There you go. <laughs> That's all you need. And he just drops a weird uh, kind of like 
homoerotic comment about the cute lead guys in the movie for no reason. And then he just magically remembers. They, they move into this ginormous house and all of the furniture for the house is in the basement and they have to pull all this old antiquated furniture out and furnish the house. And then later on, they go up to the guy who rented them the house and they're like, yeah, the dresser, like not even the specific dresser, just the dresser, one of many pieces of furniture stuffed in the basement. Where did you get that? And he just remembers like, oh yeah, I got that from this place here. I was like, that's Which that's is complete insanity. Films. And and honestly, like, you know, some, it's easy to nitpick and, and pull things apart like that, but that seems a bit egregious. And Myros, you know what? Your mom, she purchases antiques all the time, does she not? Like, that's her thing, right? Yeah, she does. And if, if she was in, if she was a, a, a real Mr. Daisy herself, do you think she would remember where the fuck she got something like that from? No, no fucking way. Yeah, and, and you know what? This this movie, God, the, the house thing drives me insane because maybe, maybe if you had two houses so that one house kind of functioned as like a, a red herring spooky house because you're an asshole and you wrote that into your script, fine. This movie has the audacity to literally have three spooky houses. There's the original <laughs> 1960s murder house. There's the spooky house that the kids move into. And then there's the other spooky house that the widow of the murderer from the 60s lives in, which is not oh, yeah. the same house yeah. that they lived in before. Yeah. yeah. She only lives because uh, her husband never told her. Why didn't they yeah, even rent out that fucking stuff. house? Anyway, she had like, so much yeah. plastic surgery, I was like cautioning her to like get away from the fire. That's you know, I was away. in college. I didn't have that much money to rent the house. Guess what? It didn't have like a fucking slats in the ceiling where the plaster had poured through it. One of my favorite, I, I'm not expected to do major repairs on a rental property. What, That's what not did a you guys thing. rent? Like like t- literally three people rent like a three story, four story with basement just <laughs> a house yeah, in the all, middle of nowhere. All I could think and of was skilled uh, contractors. Apparently, Myros <laughs> and I about God like ten years ago when we were in college. We rented a house with literally like five other dudes that was probably smaller than the the bye bye man house. <laughs> yeah, and and only can, and, and and slightly better shape, not much. I can, but. Can't we mention because I, I just want to say I think the other reason that this film fails, apart from having a storyline that just it, you know it it doesn't it's not put together well, but you also get the feeling this like this movie I think it's been confirmed that the movie was originally going to be or rated and then it got cut down to a PG thirteen, which oh, makes yeah. a lot of sense because this movie opens with a shotgun massacre. A guy with a shotgun goes in and shoots a bunch of people, and literally, there's no blood. No, yeah, like, there's none. And it's, he like it's point blank the shit. Yeah, it, it makes no sense, and it means that this movie, like for horror, like I watch a lot of horror movies. If nothing else, in a lot of horror movies, there's like that cathartic moment where there's just like something really gory happens, and you're at least like fuck it, that's payoff. You know, this is a boring, shitty movie, but what at least like something bloody happened. This movie doesn't even have that. Like it's literally one of my favorite. Blood. One of, one of the the best lines I read in, in um, uh, from from a critic on this movie was like one of the most frightening scenes is when it opens up on a terrifying present day landscape and then you realize it's just another day in Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> they have a lot of shotgun massacres up there. One thing that bugs me is there's there's always a scene in a horror film where like a kid is in a classroom and then they see like the demon or something outside of the classroom like in Halloween. And so the black guy goes to school late, presumably, and his teacher tells him to sit down. And he sits down, and I guess he immediately gets bored with the class because he pulls out his cell phone, and then he starts looking at the photos in his photo library. Oh, yeah. And there's just, like, pictures of him and his friends, and then the bye-bye man is in his photos, and he, like, he gets scared and runs out of the room. But, I mean, why is... 
why would you pull out your phone and just to look at the pictures that you've taken? That doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> it's because the bye-bye man is in his head. That he was a bridge too far for Jake. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was on his other friend's Instagram or something. I don't know. No, you, you, you see him click on the photo library app. And also, this when they're looking behind the history of the Bible man, he goes to the library and he looks at uh, search.com is the website <laughs> that he uses. That well-known search engine. Yeah. See, that that it, it, this is just a good example of how fucking lazy this script is and why I hate this movie more than anything. It's because there is, like, he goes to a stereotypical school library where he does, like, a Lexus Nexus whatnot search for... For the bye bye man, and <laughs> comes up he comes up with nothing, eh, nothing at all, and then he searches for don't think it, don't say it, which pulls up an article that prominently features about uh, ten to fifteen times in said article the phrase the bye bye man. So why would that not show up in the same search? <laughs> well, I think what we're saying is that the the budgeting for library services in the United States this is a damning, damning indictment of that. And speaking of the library, that provided the librarian provided the only amusement in the film for me when the shitbox lead actor was like convinced that he could defeat the bye bye man by willing himself to not believe the hallucinations. So he drives through a hallucination uh, of his friend on the road and then proceeds to stare backwards uh, while driving uh, very fast on the road for about 30 seconds. (laughs) <laughs> and then plows into the librarian who was in the process of hiking down a country road with a butcher knife to come and kill them all because of the bye-bye man. She was going to kill him at Faye Dunaway's house. Someone, <laughs> someone said that she was like the most uh, helpful, albeit unsolicitous, librarian in film history. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually I have a, I have a confession about the librarian. I was convinced when when I was watching the movie that she was the lady from the Pine Saw commercials, and then I went home and looked up on IMDb, and she is not. So. I would have liked <laughs> that lady would probably be like seventy years old. <laughs> I would have liked if he would have like done a J Store search for Bye Bye Man. Can we also mention that Carrie Ann Moss is in this movie? Yeah, oh, like Trinity. Doesn't she have like one of the last uh, one of the last scenes, like the most affecting scenes? I thought, which she like looks like she like breaks the fourth wall or something. Does she? Is that something like that? She like looks into the camera. Bye, bye, man. Sure, she wasn't just looking at the screen, asking for like, like, please get me out of this. <laughs> yeah, it's like blink twice, Carrie, if you're being held against your will. <laughs> All right, let's move on to uh, let's move to on Sean's to the, the, the most uh, headline catching of, of the group oh, in uh, M Night Shyamalan's Split. Yay. Oh. We should God. preface that this is going to be an all-out spoiler discussion. I don't so give a if, fuck. I'm going to spoil I, the I shit out of all these for I'm, everyone. If you're listening I'm go to this record, I don't know what the I, I've seen this movie. I still don't know what the <laughs> twist is. So if one of you guys could enlighten me, <laughs> I, that I, would be fantastic. We will it's enlighten you. It's not really you. A, a twist in the movie proper. The only twist is that it's a backdoor sequel to yeah. uh, an earlier M9 Shyamalan. <laughs> that, that's literally it. Okay, and uh, yeah, and, and I never saw that movie. What so were you going to say, Steve? I was going to say if anybody. Has has the gall to complain that we are spoiling any of these movies go fuck yourself you should be happy that we are telling you all the terrible shit that it, and funny things about these movies so you don't have to pay money to see them we are doing you uh, this, is, this is a fucking service okay. like, split spoiler, is certified spoiler. fresh it is certified okay. fresh by i, I don't know who Let's start like, with spoiler okay, alert, so, all of the monsters in monster trucks survive <laughs> there you go spoiled okay, and they so, all live so in a zoo split is is uh, a movie about 
James McAvoy, who has jerking sp- off split personalities. No, that's that's Dirty Grandpa. That's that's another movie that you love. Oh yeah. Uh, okay, so there there are so many things going on here. So he James McAvoy, who has twenty four different personalities, which are all unique, abducts three women, and then oh, young girls, young girls, young girls, teenagers for the sole purpose of feeding them to one of his personalities, which is named the Beast. We find out <laughs> later that McAvoy just doesn't have different personalities, okay. but, the, the, but by switching personalities, uh, they alter his, his physicality. So, you know, he's got one personality that's diabetic, so when he's that personality, he has to shoot insulin into his stomach and all this other shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, that's okay. basically... That, that's the core thesis of the movie, is the idea... Okay, that but, but he's also... He's also, or the beast might. He's also like this empath that creates uh, personalities through eating people. Maybe I don't know. I don't uh, think that's the case. I don't. They, they I don't, don't know really, if that's true. Yeah, that's that's a bit of a reach based on yeah. what's in the movie. I, I, this well, this, like, this is this is the Sean Glynis split fan fiction that you're writing right now. I don't believe that's in the movie. I didn't get no, that at all. No, very little is clarified in this movie. No, but there's a lot of loose ends to this, and there's a lot of um, not sort of like clarifying or or like. Yeah, what what exactly this world is, especially with the the um the ending, like combining it oh. with this world that already exists. It, there's a lot of in, inconsistency here. But anyway, See, these questions will be answered in the sequel. Unsplitable. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, just, like, I feel I feel the movies like the main thesis of the movie, like Steve was saying, is the idea that the human brain is so powerful uh, that it can enact physiological change in the human body. And that people with multiple personalities, they if they believe the personalities enough, or they take enough hold, that they can end the the body can become diabetic at a time, okay. and then can sure. become super strong. But this feeds back into Unbreakable, I guess, because in Unbreakable have like people who have really weird, uh, like physical like bruce willis is unbreakable and samuel l jackson is really breakable and uh, like i feel like maybe there's a connection there is that that's the thing that ties them together is the idea that human brain can enact massive supernatural physiological changes that's like kind of that's the movie that was very cronenbergian yeah and and the other thing is is... cronenberg was boring as shit yeah (laughs) okay so but this guy this guy uh um mcavoy kevin whatever he's been um He's been watching these two girls who I have to say are probably like 16 or 17, um, like at most 17. Um, he's been watching them for weeks because they're, they're, there's something later about like how they're he, – he preys on like um, empty – so there's a weird like judgmental thing about them being like empty or something like that. So, and that's like where he gets more personalities or he's attracted to that anyway. Mm-hmm. But you don't really, that none of that's really clear, but he's for some reason been watching these two women or these two young girls and he kidnaps them, uh, after this party. And the main character, of this movie beside like the audience surrogate is this sort of outsider girl who's been invited to this birthday party. And she's kidnapped because she's just collateral damage. Like he didn't plan on her being with these two girls and he but but she is so he ends up kidnapping them and taking them to his dungeon which is just like the basement of the zoo where he works and spoiler <laughs> alert it's a zoo that's the twist that's the twist, <laughs> yes. that's, that yeah. is the and, twist. he yeah. bought a zoo <laughs> we, he bought a zoo he works at a zoo we we work at a zoo um <laughs> uh, so anyway uh, so uh, they're in this dungeon all of a sudden and they don't know what's going on cuz he like chloroformed them and he comes in and grabs one of them 
and takes him in and uh for some reason like uh he is interrupted i don't know by a personality or something but um and or she puts up enough of a fight or something like that but no she she pees herself yeah she goes oh that's right she pees herself but there's no okay so that that like sort of uh implies that like he is intending to assault these girls and but that that's not followed up anywhere and and like Actually, that personality was mentioned as being pedophilic. Yeah, well, because after after he grabs the girl and she pees herself and he gets upset because he's also OCD, um, it's mentioned. She says he asked me to you know take off my my clothes and and dance for him, and then later the doctor says that he that personality is not allowed. Exposition. Yeah, doctor exposition. It comes in to say. Oh, that personality is not allowed to come out because he's a dick and he also wants to molest little girls. Okay, so I have two questions about this. Mm-hmm. Um, one, if one of them was predatory and that's why they why they wanted the girl that he wanted the girl, what are the rest of them wanting the girls there for? And two, um, shoot, I forgot what I was going to say. Okay, well, let, let me let me explain. So. It and, appears and only three food, personalities. Yeah, it appears okay. only three personalities really want the girls because they are sort of uh, servants of the beast, and the the beast requires this sacrifice to mm-hmm. uh, oh, ascend. Well, my, okay, and two was this feels like he can just do whatever he wants, uh, meaning M Night Shyamalan, if he just creates one personality that does that, and it's just like an excuse to basically get these young girls in underwear? Oh, that is exactly what it is. Because yeah. by the time, because, and especially when you get down to the big reveal at the end, which is uh, one of the girls like cuts herself, and therefore because, and she, because she was molested as a child, so if you get molested you don't die in this movie. Uh, it's, it's fucking Finally, terrible. It's silver lining. Yeah, real, real silver fucking lining. <laughs> Well, there's a lot to that, but but we'll but, come but back like uh, he uses this as an excuse to literally strip these girls down bare, you know, between the OCD and then of course that big reveal at the end, and and then the camera gets to leer at them. So here's my theory on Split. We're told that James McAvoy has 24 personalities, but this movie's a pile of shit. So even though that's repeated several times, we actually only see like four of them. I think maybe five. Apparently, there's a apparently there's a tape that you could watch online where he like does all of them. It doesn't. I matter. would it's, much it's rather like smash my dick with a ball peen hammer than watch that. Yeah. The point I feel is, like there's a brief scene towards <laughs> the end where he like pops into like eight different ones. Yeah. That's probably your ceiling, right? That there. okay? So. Because we yeah. only see like five or six of these personalities, or four, oh, of them, I don't know oh, how many. That, Each one positive of those videos that she's watching on the computer, right? Yeah, yeah. but yeah. but but, okay. they, but they're only expressed. One is only expressed, you know, five six times. Each one of those actually represents an M Night Shyamalan movie. Because if you if when they're talking, the the little kid, uh, what's his name? Not Heimlich, uh, Hemlock. What's his give name? A shit. Heinrich. Whatever. The one. The nine year old boy <laughs> personality. He says that. Once, oh, the angry inch. Yeah. Once they yeah. <laughs> uh, let the beast out and the beast gets his sacrifices, then everybody will believe them and nobody will make fun of them anymore. So, M. Night Shyamalan, each one of these personalities represents one of his shitty fucking movies. And the mean girls that he abducts are the critics who tell him that he's a pile of shit. <laughs> and he's going to transcend to M. Night Shyamalan's super beast and consume his critics. That's my yeah. theory. <laughs> That's I, mean, I think your your plot summation at least if nothing else it, it the vocabulary required in terms of a man who's who's ascending his critics by eating things uh, 
that that invokes the fact that this is really like Manhunter, you know, Red Dragon. It's got a lot of that DNA in it, but mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't have any of that movie's intrigue. And, uh, we should I don't ta- think. Right, and, and 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 we should say there are two big, like big hot topics like at the center of this movie. One is DID yeah. dissociative disorder and um, identity disorder and um, uh, uh, pedophilia or, or childhood trauma due to due to sexual abuse. Um, yeah. And one, well, and also and also the main character, uh, the split personality is also supposedly like a victim of trauma based on like bad parenting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like manifesting the beast in some like, or at least that's a theory that like that's that's like where, like basically his trauma is allowing him to become like stronger and becoming this beast, and then so that's why he sort of like salvages this girl is because she also has been part of this trauma. So we see her flashbacks to where her uncle on these camping trips slash hunting trips, her like creepy uncle um, engages her in sexual abuse and, and um, that she confronts him at the end or whatever. And, but, uh, that's implied. Yeah. Cause she yeah. ends up living with her uncle who was right. But there, then there, but then, yeah. So not only is she, um, a victim of, of this like camping trip type thing, this situation. Um, and that allows her <laughs> to <laughs> camping trip. Seems like really bad. Like code. No, what I'm saying is, <laughs> What I'm saying is um, not only was this one incident, which he keeps flashing back to just this one incident, um, has like made her who she is and, and who he sees in her. But also it turns out that he's been living with her, with her uncle for a long time. Yeah. So what you're saying is this movie is really just a classic American pick yourself up by your bootstraps tale. Where the, these uh, these folks were able to overcome hardship and become stronger through it. What, what uh, less than the liberal America, I say. Yeah, what, what this film tells me is that if you want to survive kidnapping, layer up, have a lot of shirts. It's just like juggling. It's juggling so many things. It's juggling so many things. Yeah, right? it, like, it is, and it, it makes a lot. Like my, I guess I don't mind it making light of dissociative identity disorder which is incredibly rare to begin with but it's like a movie trope at this point like if i had a problem with movies making light of mental illness i couldn't watch any of the funniest thrillers in the world they're all sure like, sure based on that yeah. but yeah it's it makes it kind of the the sexual abuse element seems a little bit distasteful in it it just feels kind of uh, kind of stuck in there it feels like one thing it reminded me of actually is um david lynch's firewalk with me the Twin Peaks movie, in that I feel like Shyamalan was trying to make a movie that had kind of an outlandish narrative, but had like peaked into a much more kind of dark, but kind of normal, real problem being domestic abuse, sexual abuse. I feel like that's kind of what David Lynch did in Firewalk with me as well, that it's this crazy kind of film that attacks your senses, but in the quiet moments you start to realize that this is kind of a film that's largely about sexual abuse. Um, Spoiler alert for Twin Peaks, that's a thing. Um, so, you know, it's not really a spoiler alert. There's really no way you could spoil Twin Peaks uh, in, in one sense. You have no idea what's going to happen half the time. Um, but, yeah, it, it felt to me like he was trying to make this movie that that, impl- that kind of took you on this ride, but that really imp- kind of cut into the, the dark underbelly of suburbia or whatever the hell. But it just it doesn't it doesn't have that element to it. It just feels mm-hmm. too stuck, to, like sticky tape together. It kind of falls apart for me because it just 
yeah, it, it's just it doesn't really get into the minds of anyone. I mean, what's what's in James McAvoy or whatever is his character is pretty much like he uh, he looks like he's having fun, so good for him. Um, but like he's, as a character, like I didn't I didn't mind Split, but it just kind of it just trundles onward. This, like I say, the twist or whatever didn't even feel like, and there was nothing in the movie that felt unpredictable. When they started to move into these elements of abuse and so on, it's kind of like. It, it, it hints at the end that she's that the the girl is going to report her abusive uncle that's implied at the end that this this hardship has finally given her the wherewithal to do that to triumph over that. But I don't know what the message is in the movie based on that. I don't know what that right. like. What does that well, tell me? What does that mean to me? And it also like triples down on like her like the abuse that she's um, like. I mean the fact that she's now living with that guy like triples down on like the abuse of this one situation and and what she's yeah. experienced. <laughs> It's but also, like, fun. the DID thing is, like, um, another problem with it is that it's trying to, like, locate it in this real-world situation by by having this therapist who's just a terrible character. Awful. It, yeah. and, um, I'm surprised Aaron Kilderman like, didn't cast himself as that. Instead, he cast himself as a friend of the therapist in one right. scene. I really right. expected him to play the therapist as well. That that seemed about. He plays right. a Hooters apologist, which yeah. is fucking absolutely uh, unforgivable. Because I've been to Hooters and it's the most depressing restaurant chain in the world. <laughs> but anyway, well, anyway, uh, okay. So so it plays. Uh, it it tries to place this in like this real world context, but also like talks about how these personalities have given him the beast. Like I I don't understand where what it's trying to do with uh, DID. At all, like I, I, it just it it's it feels like a loose end to me, or it just feels like he just like he could have come up with anything that didn't have a place in the real world, and had this therapist who's just like, hmm, I have to investigate this. Like he, he literally read the Wikipedia page for DID, and that's how he wrote the dialogue. <laughs> that's that's it. It's all surface level bullshit. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. This, uh, I'm just saying, like, it's this movie to me is like the quintessential example of what how poisoned the well is for Shyamalan for me at this point. Like you could watch a movie where they went into the backstory of this lead female, the the protagonist of the film. And this backstory would be informative. It would be enriching in a Shyamalan movie. You're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're going, Oh wait, so is she going to be, is she going to have DID as well? You're just like watching it going, what is he, what's he going for here? Like he's trying to, Pull some horse shit, and so you can't even take it as just basic character building when it, it right it is really, but it's so yeah, his it's, it's filmography pretty, is so poisoned. It's a pretty yeah, it's a pretty straightforward film. I feel like it, it, other than revealing itself to be a sequel, like the movie itself doesn't like there's it doesn't do there isn't a huge twist. There isn't something that completely changes your perception of everything that happened previously. But like. Yeah, you're right, Adam. Like I, while I was watching it, I was trying to. I was partially because I just wasn't that invested. I don't know. This movie was like it wasn't like really boring. It was kind of like middling, kind of like okay, yeah. whatever. But um, yeah, I, I started just kind of in my head, just wandering off into wild flights of fancy of kind of stuff that M Night Shyamalan might do. Like, is is actually Kevin actually another? Uh, personality of the lead actress, and they're actually one yeah, of the that's same. What, you know that that's kind what of Myros stuff. And I, that's what Myros and I were both sort of like musing about, like because especially as the her flashbacks to this camping trip like kept amping up towards yeah. the end, and and it was like, oh, this is just like manifesting in in her mind, and then the fact that it doesn't, 
um, just made the it made the her trauma feel like a red, like a huge red herring. Yeah, and and yeah, and Which and, it isn't. That, and and but the thing no. about it is, it's it's funny because yeah, even imagining that as a possibility, if that had been what happens in the film, the film wouldn't be any better. It wouldn't mean anything. Oh, no. And that's kind of where I started to realize in this movie that no matter what happens, I, there's nothing in this movie that's going to really make it stand out. It's no. not a good portrait of mental illness. It's not a good portrait of coping with abuse. It's not a particularly exciting thriller. It's, it's just not a good origin story. Yeah, it's it's just I don't know. Like I say, middling. This is just it's mm. not on. It wasn't like absolutely boring, but I cannot imagine sitting down to this ever again it's not really an amazing journey i I actually have a question for jake so jake when we were talking about this you said you said it had you it had you for a little bit and then at some point you were like fuck it what what was your fuck it moment with this movie (laughs) uh the the camping trip where the uncle uh plays animals with her oh okay that's Um, (laughs) i was i was worried it was going in that direction and and it was much it reminded me a lot of uh don't breathe uh, mm-hmm. which came out last year, which could have been, in my opinion, a capable thriller, but it introduces this bizarre psychosexual <laughs> element midway through that I think completely ruins the whole thing. And then not only that, to top it off, but you go through Split, which is uh, too long anyways, mm-hmm. and the the button on the end with Bruce Willis revive, you know, reviving his role from Unbreakable, I think completely deflates the whole film before it It really is just completely worthless yeah i'm I'm glad you mentioned don't breathe too because i think that's a really good comparison because in that and in split uh, the the sexual trauma angle it's not an integral part of the story it feels like edgy window dressing if that makes sense like it's just there for you to go oh my god which like like in the bye bye man it's like it's really risky to trivialize this shit just so you can make kind of a ropey horror movie, you know, or thriller. It's like it takes really serious stuff and just kind of denigrates it as window dressing for kind of a a really hokey bullshit story, like light entertainment. This is light entertainment. This is not a movie that people are going to be dissecting. Well, actually, no, someone will because there's people who do that for everything. It's kind of probably probably someone working on a thesis on monster trucks right now. I wonder if someone... I wonder if Shyamalan thinks that he um, that his creation in this character is like a pro, like a, a progressive thing about mental health being like, you know, you can use those things and you can become something else because I wouldn't doubt it. But at the same time, like, does he even care about like lived experiences? I don't know. Well, yeah, it feels like a superhero story. Like, like this is like his idea. It seems like like the character from Split could be a superhero in another movie. He's someone who can will himself to be superhuman. It, oh. Like, but I don't know if that's a, is that even a thing, you know, for a movie like the Split, Split isn't a superhero movie. I don't know if it's going to be another movie like this. I don't understand what matters about this film or what's supposed yeah. to draw you in and make you interested in it. Sure. I, was, I, was, I was supposed to be a locked in a room tension movie and it's not like at some no, point I was on like Shyamalan like, forgot how to do that. You like you watch you watch something like Signs which has a ton of problems. It's got a real problematic third act to say the least, but there is there is legitimate tension in that film. He knows right. how to set up things. Yeah. And he knows how to he knows how to twist uh, tighten that wire and and scare you a bit and this movie i never felt it for a single damn minute well, I, I, think the, I think the car yeah. scene i think the abduction scene i think is is like well done um but like 
that's as far as it had me was like literally the first scene. And then as soon as they get in there and then he starts going into these different personalities and those stupid personalities with like the lisp that are just like uh, there to get like a reaction, like a, a laugh out of the audience. And it does. And it, I don't know. It just like yeah, derails Mac immediately. Because I know there's going to be people saying like McAvoy's performance is really great because it's like different characters. But like his his performance is really just like it's it's like vaudeville caricature. Like he, it's, he they're all physical changes. He changes up his voice a little bit, and then other than that, he's just kind of like he's the kid, so he stays low to the ground and kind of mopes around. It's like watching an audition tape. Yeah, yeah or like fucking Frank Caliendo for Best Actor. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's just yeah. There's McAvoy nothing about TV. this. This is really good. Mm-hmm. It just oh, and I, I think I, I think know. when you, when you take a microscope to it as well. I mean, obviously this this movie has big problems top to bottom, but e- even the little things that can add up and drive me nuts with horror movies, they're they're all here. So this is especially true in the beginning. There are so many opportunities where James McAvoy is just being sloppy about how he's uh, keeping these girls trapped or whatever. Yeah, and there's so many times it's just like, oh my god, just overrun him. Or there's that part where the two girls are in the kitchen, and James McAvoy, uh, Lady McAvoy, whatever that person's name is, <laughs> Patricia, I think, she's yeah. making them sandwiches, and they and one of the girls grabs a chair and cracks McAvoy over the head with it, and then immediately leaves. It's like, why don't you yeah, just continue to beat James McAvoy to a bloody pulp that, and then that, stab the, the shit out of him? That is the exact same comment. That is like the most annoying horror trope in the world is that where you, where the, the person hits the bad guy once and then just leaves. It's like, no, also keep the, over and over lock, again. In, in, the, in the climax, the lock, the like sliding lock on the door didn't make logistical sense. No, like it, God, no. Like, you have this fucking coat hanger that's, like, twisted around three edges of a door, and is somehow supposed to pull a deadbolt out? There, there's also no, a part no where the, the beast locks himself in one of the rooms with the girl that he's eating, which I don't know how he does that from the inside. So, uh, that's, he's that's got something. powers. His brain allows him to do stuff. That's true. I will say uh, this. Of all the movies, this gave me the biggest laugh, because there's a line... Where Kevin resurfaces and and they ask him, hey, "How long have you been out?" And he said, "I don't know. Is it is it still October fourteenth, two thousand and fourteen? I'm like, "Wait, how the fuck? This is a fucking movie. I don't yeah, know. It was when like, does this take place? Today? It was implied. It was implied that the audience would think that it takes place." Today, yeah, like how much time has passed from October uh, 2014? I don't have any fucking yes, idea. This no. movie could. What does well, every movie take place the day I see it in the fucking theater? But, but, but isn't, <laughs> isn't the idea? But isn't the idea of that that the main that Kevin, who's the actual guy, and all his personalities have different names? That like Kevin, who doesn't have a voice for the whole film, he finally shows up at the end, and. Obviously, he's suppressed by the other personality, so he hasn't been active since October 2014. So even in the right. future when we watch it, it's just knowing that, that there was a time where Kevin has been out of his own body, pushed out. Yeah. For how long? I, I, I don't right. know. Like, no you idea. watch it in 2090, yeah. or you're like, oh my god, he's been out of his fucking body for 75 <laughs> well, years! Well, I suppose the point <laughs> is just that he's been locked out for a while. Uh, so you yeah, know, he's been out for two and a half years. That therapist is a real piece of shit at her job to, to well, just now is. be noticing these inconsistencies. Well, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, except that she does notice that he didn't walk around the garbage. That was that was the one part of the movie that felt like it was almost clever. The her her conceit oh, for that. No. But then again, this therapist then goes to a person with a mental disorder who's been acting agitated and violent, and just wanders to his house without telling. Wait, wait, wait. wouldn't she know that he's at the zoo? 
Yeah, no, she she did know. So like, why why would you wander into this psychopath's zoo basement den? Why is that a good that's idea? A, without telling a soul. Uh, mm-hmm. That's just because that's because that's a responsible thing. God. That, so that would you... see, this is set at a firm point in time, by the way, by another fucking idiotic, clunky line of dialogue about time, which is in oh the, yeah the, that, that unbreakable postscript where they're like ago. reading the paper and they're like. Boy, this reminds me an awful lot of that time exactly 15 years ago with that like guy that in a wheelchair. I'm like, what yeah. the fuck does this remind you of about a, a guy in a wheelchair? It doesn't sound like that story. <laughs> 15 years ago. I love that news report that plays there because they literally, because whatever, Kevin escapes and he's the beast or whatever. And they have a news reporter like earnestly delivering this report about how people have now called this this multiple personality guy who's on the loose the Horde. <laughs> it's like, right. yeah, that's something that people would come up with. Maybe a horde act going to run down and lead the horde against uh, the forces of fucking unbreakable Bruce? Well, yeah, I guys, I think that we're missing the point here. Shyamalan wants his own cinematic Marvel universe. That's right. characters. Apparently people have been, like, clamoring for a sequel to Unbreakable for a while. I don't know. And it's it's going to get made. This movie's it's, done huge. Oh, and business. you know what? A yeah. good uh, or a, a, one of the smart things that I that I heard was that um, that Shyamalan, who has been like pretty interested in, in how his films are marketed and, and all that stuff, and um, that this is sort of like a you know uses a big commercial to temper that to temper the audience um, to wait for the un- the unbreakable sequel as opposed to just like making an unbreakable sequel and people being like oh yeah and and sort of being like this you know fairly just- large contingency of people who are um you know interested in uh in unbreakable but now he has all these people who went to see split who are like oh now i have to see this so he's just it, sort of yeah. like it's a very commercial thing it feels like he's just reminding people that maybe they might like an unbreakable sequel like he's planting the seed in their head and they're like oh maybe i would like that i don't know he's certainly not gonna fucking uh, remind people of any movies he made after unbreakable <laughs> anyway this all right, is super boys. sloppy <laughs> we gotta wrap this yeah, up it- all right, let's so, do some putovers. Yeah, let's let's put something over. After oh, sitting shit. through this trash, I feel like you know maybe uh, maybe maybe we need to share some good things with the world. So, uh, Sean, why don't you start? What are you putting over this week? Um, I've been really digging into um, Filmstruck, the uh, recent app slash website, I guess that um, Criterion Collection partnered up with. Um, you can subscribe. To it monthly or, or, or an, annually. Wow. Um, sit, Ubu, sit. Um, good and uh, it has a ton of good movies, including like, uh, a ton of Criterion uh, films, as well as stuff that Criterion has sort of like bought but not really produced yet into uh, tangible things um, and extras and all this stuff. But And it's revolving or they're adding more stuff all the time. But I've been really digging into that. And one of the best things I've watched recently is uh, uh, Ozu's record of a tenement gentleman from from the 40s. Oh, really good. You fancy. Uh, I'm going to go next just because That's I want to I want to get this. I want to get this. On, I, I want to put this over before anybody else can. Yeah, yeah, we're all putting over the same fucking thing. Oh, damn it. Okay. Uh, yeah, there's a new Neil Cicerega album, and it's called Mouth Moods, and it's incredible. You have not lived until you hear Vanessa Carlton's, was it, A Thousand Miles, mashed up with the vocal track from Back in Black. 
It's everything the world needs right now. <laughs> Jake, how about you? What are you putting over? Uh, well, aside from that, um, Sean recommended a good movie the other day that I went ahead and watched because it's been one on my list I haven't seen um, called Mother, which is uh, from a Korean director, Bong Joon-ho. It's about a woman who uh, goes to great lengths to research the murder case that her um, mentally handicapped son has got himself into. And of all the films of his, I think I've seen them all now, and I would say this is clearly his best film. It's um, it's the it's the most well acted, uh, best shot thing that he's done, and it's not like the disaster of uh, Snowpiercer, or uh, it, uh, it doesn't deal with like too many thematic issues like in um, uh, the host. But yeah, mother. Would you say it's thematically it. rich? Uh, it's it's <laughs> oh man, it's thematically rich. It's visually or aesthetically. Uh, non-repugnant, and uh, it's got a lot going for it. Jesus. That's all I could think of on the, the spot. <laughs> but yeah, Mother, check it out. Korean film. Has Superb. nothing to do with Glenn Danzig, right? I don't know what that means. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Myros, what are you putting over? Uh, I think yeah, I know. I'll put over, I'll put over uh, his, uh, Neil Cicerega's actual band, uh, Lemon Demon, uh, their album Spirit Phone from last year. It's uh, not as transcendent as perhaps his mashup work tends to be, but it's uh, a lot of a lot of good fun, a lot of uh, Queen, Sparks, Devo type influence. Uh, it's a Steve Coleman special. All right, uh, he'd really dig it. It's it's a fun listen. You hear that, Coleman? We got something for you, uh, Jack. Last one. What oh, are you I'm, over? I'm going to put over uh, Glenn Danzig's mother. No. <laughs> That's no, good. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put over uh, a movie that I watched recently, um, and it's turned out it actually links in a little bit thematically with Jake's recommendation, and it stars John Hurt, who just recently died, so might be worth picking up because he's superb in it. A movie called Ten Rillington Place. It's a 1971 British film uh, about recounting true events of a British serial killer and the man who uh, a kind of mentally innocent man who gets caught up in it and actually was eventually was uh, wrongly convicted and executed for part of his crimes but a really tense understated kind of horrific chilling film it's not gore and slaughter it's much more cerebral and just kind of quiet Mm -hmm. uh richard attenborough plays john christie who's a serial killer john hurt plays uh the other guy who gets set up for his crimes they're both stupendous just really understated play off each other brilliantly so 10 rillington plays uh not a very widely known movie but highly recommended really good stuff all right cool uh gentlemen Thank you for making me watch this trash this month. I think it's been a, a very good use of my time. Anyways, if you guys like the podcast, make sure you go on to iTunes, give us five stars, and write us a written review. Because when you write a written review, that helps us become more visible. And when we're, when we're more visible, more people can check out the show. And when more people check out the show, then we can slowly build up our wealth and form a super PAC, which is really our ultimate goal here at Optimism Vaccine. You can also go to OptimismVaccine.com, where we have plenty of fabulous articles, including one that Sean has coming down the pipeline, I think. Sean, what's that about? It's, that's true. Uh, look out for an article that I am uh, posting this week about uh, biopics and how we should have more interesting ones made. All right. When's that Bruce Hornsby movie going to get made? That's just the way it is, the Bruce Hornsby story. Come on, that'd be great. You know it. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Jake, last word's yours. Uh, uh, hey. All right, that's fine.